0: Today, the text that we're looking at is going to be from the epistle, the, the, the lectionary epistle reading, which is Romans 8. And we'll get to that here in just a moment. But a little backdrop, I've been sharing with you, there's kind of been a series of thoughts and words that have been rolling around for me. And several of them that kind of beginning, I don't know, about a month ago, we talked about, you know, uh, what it means uh, to experience and encounter the goodness of God, God's intent to restore man. And uh, we've been having just kind of a fun journey, spending a lot of time looking at the, uh, the book of Genesis, that what God made is good, what he called very good is mankind. Um, and that even in the land of wandering, the land of Nod, that God comes to reveal that he is good and his promises toward us. Um, and so I, the, the word that has been rattling around for me, and I, I, I give credit uh, to my wife. I give credit uh, because she reads a lot more than I do. By the way, you need to know that. She's just a, a lot better reader than I am. But uh, we have a mutual um, acquaintance that we both admire and listen to. His name is Brian Zahn. She read through one of his books called uh, When Everything is on Fire. It's a great a book that speaks to the reality of faith and the invitation of faith, and really what he invites, I believe, the church of this hour right now that we're in, in the West, North American West, the what uh, authors are now calling the kind of this this uh, state of where the evangelicalism is in America. And one of the things that, a great comment that, again, Denise quoted to me from another author, uh, she made this statement. She said, we, didn't, uh, we did not leave religion. Religion left us, did I say that right? When, when it shows certainty and politics over mystery and love. And, uh, again, that doesn't mean that we're losing faith. It means that we're embracing the faith of our fathers, when we begin to embrace the reality that there is a mystery to our confession. And uh, so I've been pondering this idea, and you've heard me kind of making statements about this idea of mystery. So I've titled the message this morning, A Woven Mystery. Um, Denise and I were able to celebrate our anniversary a little early. We had the privilege of being able to take a trip together. And on that trip, we had the uh, the privilege. We didn't know this was going to be happening, but we were. We went to a the island nation of Malta, and in the city of Valletta, Malta, there's this beautiful cathedral that we went to go see. Now, uh, do can you put up those those slides there? The where we went to visit was the Saint John's Co Cathedral in. Uh, And as you can see on this photo, uh, this is a picture that Denise took. We didn't realize this, but surrounding that cathedral the day that we came were a number of tapestries. What we didn't know was that these tapestries had been, it's the first time they'd been hung in over 30 years. They hung them up at the end of May. They took them back down at the latter part of, the, of June. We just happened to show up right as they were. People came from around the world to see these amazing tapestries. I think there's 20-some-odd of these tapestries, enormous in size, over 400 years old, the largest historical set of tapestries in the world. They had just been, did I mention that they'd just been through 16 years of renovation? Uh, in, in 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 Belgium. So this is the first time people had seen them over 30 years. Uh, several of them were there are there now. The part of the the deal with these tapestries and the ones that I think Denise took a picture of. Yeah. Um, by the way, I had good pictures too. They're somewhere uh, on a phone that took a hike that got stolen. By the way, I know where my phone is. If you want to go get it for me, it's in China. It I can still spot it. That's a real bad bunny trail, but I can still spot where my phone is. Um, Back to, the, back to the message, Ben. Um, this, and there are several tapestries that tell the story of Jesus, and then tell the story. They also have several of them that tell the story of the church. The ones that tell the story of the church, it's a little muddied because they have some triumphalism as it pertains to um, the crusaders and, and that kind of thing, you know, it which wasn't really. Great, but my point being that, um, you know, these are there. The, the reason that they're hung was during a time 400 years ago, it was they, they were able to tell a story better than just verbally. It was there, you know, as a, as a picture. Um, and that's what's really interesting about tapestries. Now, there's another one up here, a couple of them that I wanted to show. Um, can you go on to, I think it's slide number four or five, uh, the, the RAM uh, on the front of this next one, is it there? We don't have a RAM one. Did I miss it? Okay, hang on. It's coming up. So, one of the things that happens with a. Um, there it is, right there. Uh, again, a lot of. Now, this is a different style, a different textile. But I, I think they're really cool because part of this movement has been around the church for a very long time. It's expressing art but it also tells story. Because if I see this, for instance, this tapestry, for my mind, uh, coming from my background and my own studies, immediately if I see this hanging in a church, I'm going to be thinking about Abraham offering his son Isaac and God providing the ram and that God brings provision. Is there an amen in the room, right? Amen. Now, the interesting part about tapestries, however, is this. The back of them can be a little bit confusing. This is the back of that ram tapestry. And I would dare say that not only can it be confusing and fuzzy, but in this case, all but impossible to see what's on the other side, right? It's just a pile of yarn and textiles and all kinds of different things. It just looks like a tangled mess. And that's often all I get to see of my life. Many, many times. The things that touch us, the things that feel disconnected, challenges. You were trying to figure out how, what in the world and here's my confession to you this morning as i think about this idea of mystery the truth of my own life a lot of times it feels more like a mystery and i'm trying to figure it out a collection of maybe of dare i say random events that sometimes are disruptive many times painful difficult i was i was talking to a hammer this morning. We have a friend that we heard of just this last week whose husband went to his parents' house. He's hot, wanted to get cooled off, I guess, something like that, and apparently, alone, had a heart attack and drowned in the pool. Young man. I, young man, he's, I, anyone close to my age is young. My kids say, Dad, no, that's not young. I'm just, I raised the age of young as I age. All right. So, uh, the, my point is, it, it's just, what do you say? There's nothing you can say to that. There's no, I mean, you, you, there's no secret bullet word that you can give to somebody in the midst of something that absolutely can't seem to make sense. I'm here to tell you, I've experienced a number of those in my life. I know you have. Um, a week ago on my, on my birthday, one of my boys sat across from me and said, Dad, now that you're the ripe old age of 81, I wonder if you could tell us something you've learned for every 20 years of your life. Now, some of the kids are saying, no, he's not 81. Of course, he was trying to get that reaction, something that he often does. And uh, he said, What about it, Dad? And uh, I thought, I thought, you know what? Good moment. All right. First thing that came to my mind. Okay, what's the first 20 years? First thing I said things are never as bad as they seem. I don't remember what I said for the second one. It was really good, but I'm not remembering it. (laughs) I know what I would say today. What I would say is forgiveness and mercy are really, really important. And then the third one that I said was humility and love are two of the most important things you'll ever know. Now, I, I suppose the reason that that first statement came out of my head is because it's deep in my psyche. I mean, it was kind of drilled into me. I, I listened to the voice of my parents who lived through a depression, through a world war, through seeing unimaginable things happen around them, immigrating not just to one but to two countries, learning a language that they didn't have uh, as, as a, from their childhood. And, and, um, and then it's also something, interestingly, that I think I hear my wife remind me of because I happen to have this wiring in me that tends to wait, for the bad, next bad piece of news to come down the pike. I, don't, I, I consider myself sometimes, I'm an optimist, but if you get to know me internally, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop, okay? And Denise will tell you that. That's really true, all right? Uh, so she'll say, honey, come on, you know, st- stop waiting for the shoe to drop, which means this. This is kind of how my wiring is. There's a lot of things that make me lay awake at night. That's honest. That's the truth. You guys make me lay awake at night, yeah I'm'm I'm, I'm picking on them for a second, but for me, it's the unexpected losses. those are hard, but for me, it's when I know I've made the mistake, and I wish I could undo it. Unring the bell. Anybody ever had that? The missteps, the the statement you wish you hadn't made. Um, And yet, I want to say this after decades of life in faith, I think what I told my kids is true. Nothing is as bad as it seems. Um, Not to diminish the pain, but to acknowledge here's something I have learned and I'm continuing to learn that God knows how to take my worst and turn it to good. Uh, He's a good recycler. And it's even more than that. I hope I I can communicate this this morning. That, That pain is redeemed, but more than just redeemed, hope is restored, and nothing and no one, nothing and no one, nothing and no one is beyond his reach. And, and this is deeply tied into my faith in the promise that God is good in this good news of the gospel that we find in today's epistle. And, and that Paul, Paul works this. You see, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, Romans 8, 28. But in Ephesians 3, 10, Paul worded it this way. And this is a profound proclamation that I hope, I pray that I'll communicate this well. His intent, Ephesians 3.10, this is God. His intent was that now, a present moment, through the church, you and me, the manifold wisdom of God, that's measureless, by the way, would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. So unpack that for a moment. God is weaving a picture that feels sometimes, many times, like a mystery to me. But according to Paul, it's a picture that will portray his love and his grace and his mercy in real in real time that according to John's revelation, he gets this little snapshot of heaven in Revelation 4 and 5. And he sees this anthem of worship and these these weird creatures that, you know, people have tried to give all kinds of, they're just weird looking. Eyeballs everywhere? What is that? But here's the thing. Every time one of those eyes begins to see something, the response is the same. Oh, my goodness. You're worthy. You're holy. You purchase men for God from every tribe, language, and tongue, which is to say that not only that God, what God created is good, but that what he is revealing in real time in the lives of men and women right now will stun us for eternity. That is a huge thought. Creation is amazing. It causes men and women across language, I don't care what kind of religious background they are. It still causes men and women to go, wow. Am I right? That sunrise, that sunset where people go, that is amazing. And as I've heard my wife say, you know, God could have done that very boringly, made it all black and white and monochrome. And yet, here it is again. Whoa. John gives us a picture, and Paul gives us some explanation that through our life, something would be displayed that is beyond even that created order that we see in Eden, even though it's been marred by sin, that somehow the grace of God revealed in real time, in your life and in mine, is going is to eclipse that sunrise? Yes, there'll be no more need for a sun. He's weaving a mystery of beauty, of goodness. And, beloved, that is what it's about. See, so many times we live otherwise. We live otherwise because it feels otherwise. It feels disconnected, on a good day, boring, on a hard day, indescribably difficult. trying to unpack what's happened in the lives of men and women. Julian of Norwich was born in 1343. By the age of six, the Black Plague arrives in Europe, and it comes in waves. Sixty percent of the population throughout Europe dies. According to her writings, she not only has a family at the age of six, but later she grows up and she, she's a wife and a mother. But by 1873, she's on her deathbed and she's alone, widowed, motherless, apparently having lost everyone in her family may the 8th 1373 she falls ill and as her vision is lost and the only th- last thing that she sees is a crucifix hanging on a wall at the foot of her bed and she loses the feeling in her in her limbs they bring in someone to pronounce last rites over her body and The last thing, again, that she sees is this crucifix. Five days later, she recovers. And she began to write about a series of visions that she had in those days. It's a book that would later be published. It was the first written book in English by a woman, published in 1670. Divine Revelations. Oh, wait, wait, I've got it here. Revelations of Divine Love. In her 13th vision, she deals with this daunting question that plagued her, and not just, not just the idea that something had happened, she was thinking deeply about what had happened. And what had plagued her mind and her heart, that plagues so many of us. If only. And it wasn't just that if only my kids hadn't gotten sick or I hadn't lost my... For her, she began to think deeply about this, that, that wait, if only sin had not been, if only we could have just stayed in the garden We should be clean like our Lord. And her conclusion was, all should have been well. And so she begins to clarify. She's she's recognized as she's thought about this. Sin really is the cause of all this pain in bodies and minds and creation. In our culture, filled with greed and violence and wars and famine and abuse and betrayal. But in this vision, Jesus informed me of everything that is needful. see if I can get Jesus, who in this vision informed me of all that is needful to me, answered by this word and said, "It behooved, behooved meaning uh, that's an old English word of being, um, it was uh, necessary." Now, please don't get sidetracked by what I'm about to say, okay? Because hopefully we'll put we'll tie these things together right. That there should be sin. But all will be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. In the naked word sin, our Lord brought to mind generally all that is not good. And she goes on to explain it. But I saw not sin, but the pain that it caused. And this pain is something that purges and makes us know ourselves and ask for mercy. Mercy. And later in this vision, she heard the Lord saying, it is true that sin is the cause of pain, but all shall be well. and all manner of all things, all shall be well. She began to come to a conclusion in this vision, and she heard something that I believe is a reiteration of what Paul proclaims in Romans 8. I'm going to read it out out of the Passion Translation. So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together for good, for we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill his design purpose For he knew all about us before we were born, and he destined us from the beginning to share in the likeness of his son. This means the son is the oldest among a vast family of brothers and sisters who will become just like him. Beloved, the good news that we are proclaiming this morning is that in the midst of unending headlines and stories in our lives filled with human suffering, harm, and pain, God has come to tell a story through the cross to weave a tapestry of his grace, his mercy, his love, that every detail of our lives would be touched by this grace to tell an eternal story that we have become a part of. The story of love and mercy. This is the mystery of our confession. We believe in a grace that makes all things work together so we can say, all will be well. Now, I'm looking at the clock, and I'm going to, to skip forward a little bit here, but I, I want to say this to us. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Pain is real. The world is bearing under the weight of what is not good. <clears throat> but because of the good work of Jesus, all will be well, and all manner of thing, all shall be well. This is why he works He works all things together for good, This is our confession. It has been the confession of the church. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will indeed come again. One of the things that I recall growing up hearing my dad reiterate, he reiterated this verse so many times But he would quote it out of the King James Version. And he said it this way All things work together for good. And so it communicated for me and my little brain some things that are not so great. One is it felt almost dismissive at worst. You know, don't feel the pain, it'll all be all right. Um, And triumphal, uh, as it sort of denied it. all things work together for good, which is to say, almost like, well, it's almost like a sort of philosophy I even hear out in the culture. It'll all work out. Now, some people shake their head and say, yeah, yeah, right. Well, not really. That's as if to say to the sex abuse survivor, something good will come out of that. And by the way, we're hearing culturally People try to talk like that. That's a mess. That is an absolute mess. There's nothing good about sex abuse. Or, or let's, you know, the idea of invasive disease and cancer. No, it's not good. And again, for clarity, let me say this I need to make sure to say this clearly. Nothing about the trafficking of human beings in the past or the present, was, is, or ever will be good, clearly. So the idea that somehow things work by themselves, work themselves out, they don't. Undealt with pain causes more pain. Look at generational abuse. Is everybody following what I'm trying to say right now? It doesn't just automate. There's some, not like some intrinsic good in painful things. And to be clear, there are such things as evil things. All right? Human trafficking is one of them. Now, Then I add this caveat as a child to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So in my little brain, growing up with a gospel that was centered on sin and sin management, I was like, oh, I must be the problem. So I need to achieve something so I can make God make it good. So let's be clear. Things by themselves working for good is to truly misunderstand this scripture and to utterly miss the reality of pain and suffering and evil. Julian of Norwich, she gave a little bit more clarity to this vision. She said, the passion of our Lord is to comfort us again, and these words were said fully and tenderly, showing no manner of blame to me, nor to any that would be saved, then there were it a great unkindness to blame or wonder on God for my sins, since he blameth me not for sin. And in these words, I saw a marvelous high mystery in God, which mystery he made openly known to us in heaven, in which we shall verily see the cause why he suffered sin to come. Remember that? Sin didn't just come to bring harm into our lives, but God comes to take all of that weight he overcomes death by death by taking all of the violence and the sin of mankind upon himself in which we might endlessly joy in our Lord Jesus Christ. So, beloved, the goal is this, that through us the manifold wisdom of God would be made known to rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And yet Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, right now we see in a mirror dimly. We stare at it like a polished piece of metal. The struggle that we have is to understand the mess of our life, the tangled mess. Yet it was the revelation of the mystery of the love of Christ for Julian that that changed everything. And for her, it was a perspective that shifted. To surrender to this, God, you're weaving something I can't see, and I believe it. You are able to make all things work together for good. So part of what this confession is about is recognizing the activity. We talked about this a little bit last week, the activity of God where in my upbringing I would see it as like let's do something great for God to see the kingdom come, and I would see that as equal to something I've done well, but certainly not when I've just yelled at one of my kids or when I've disappointed my wife. I've done both. Here's the good news, beloved. In the tangled messes, that's actually ground zero where the kingdom of God breaks in because here's the reality. When I come to surrender to saying, oh, Lord, there's something greater than my achievement, yes, the love of God revealed in Christ, his grace and his mercy at work in my life, and I can surrender to it right there, yes, that's the mystery of our confession Christ has died. He took the brutality and the violence and the brokenness of man upon himself. He has risen. He overcame death by death. The mystery of this gospel is that he comes and he takes man's wandering places and mess and he restores something good and beautiful, but even more than what was visible in the garden, now what becomes visible is the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God on display. Are you following what I'm trying to proclaim this morning? This is the woven mystery. This waterfall is stunning and beautiful, and I love staring at them, and they're like, wow. But guys, what's being woven in our life Oh, my goodness, the grace of God, the love of God, self-emptying, love and forgiveness touching my life. He's able to take pain and turn it into something beautiful. He's able to take my mistakes and brokenness and the destructive forces that I've invited openly into my life and body, and he can make something beautiful. He takes all of it and does so much more then remove debt. He's revealing the goodness of the house of abundance, the the goodness of a good God. That word mystery, beloved. Man, um, there is a power at work that brings beauty for ashes. Amen. I don't know how. I'm not sure even how it works. But here's what I'm becoming convinced of. Lord, you're not really that interested in my certainty or my moral perfection. Yes, it matters what I believe. It matters how I live. But I don't have to talk him into being what he already is and he's already wanting to reveal. I don't have to persuade him to care for what he already cares about. I am becoming convinced all will be well in all matter of all things because God is really committed to revealing God. It is God who works all things together for good for those who love him and have been called according to his purpose. Read Colossians 1 where it says he put all the fullness of himself into his son and then he reconciled us in the body of his son and that it's Christ in us then that is the hope of glory. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will indeed come again. Beloved, this is why this is good news. I heard about something this last week called Kintsugi Pottery. So can I offer to you a vision of the gospel for us that is so much more than Jesus talked dad into student debt forgiveness. Is that too soon? Okay. I, I you, know, you know what I'm saying? Like he worked it out. It's going to get you forgiven. There's so much more at work. Um, do you have those pictures? Okay. Uh, let's get the one of the broken pottery. Here's what kintsugi pottery is. It's the Japanese art of taking broken pottery and not just putting it back together. See, kin means gold and sugi means together. So the artist takes what is broken. All of this, this is, this is the before picture. You've got all of this broken piece, and the artist then comes, puts it together, and then not only does it get it glued together, but it comes over those all of those cracks and all of the missing places with gold. And in the end, there's something more beautiful and more valuable. That sounds like the gospel to me. What's God up to? Kintsugi, man. Romans 8, 28, he's working all things together for good. Shalom, our confession, the peace of God that takes all the broken pieces and puts them together, nothing lacking, nothing missing, and all of those cracks and all of those busted places of our life. He makes something more beautiful. Yes, all will be well. In all manner of all things, all will be well. He's working all things together. For good. I asked my wife if I could close a sermon by quoting something from a movie in a book that I've neither fully watched or fully read. She said, You shouldn't, but I'm going to. Okay? Uh, partly because I read this from Brian Zahn's book. <clears throat> At the close of The Return of the King, Sam Wise turns to Gandalf and he says, Gandalf, I thought you were dead but I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? What's happened to the world? A great shadow has departed, said Gandalf. And then he laughed. And the sound was like music or like water in a parched land. And as he listened, the thought came to Sam that he had not heard laughter, the pure sound of merriment for days upon days without count. Is everything sad going to come untrue? He works all things together for good. All will be well, beloved. I want to close this morning bringing us to the table with this poem that was written by Brian Zahn. It's the very, very very end of that book, When Everything is on Fire. And he titled it Laughing Now. Something is happening to me. Something is bubbling in me like I'm about to laugh. Like I've just heard the best news, unexpected, yet a secret I've always known. I believe. Like never before, I believe in Jesus. I believe what the Gospels tell, what the creeds confess. But it's more than that. How can I explain? I, I believe in the greatest wonder of all. The Word became flesh. So God could join us. God becoming human to heal humanity. I believe Jesus is the all in all. All things summed up in him. I believe in the restoration of all things. Jesus is the Savior of the world. It's more than just the rescue of a few elect souls. Oh, beloved, can I, would you allow me to push pause for a moment? Um, Jesus is the Savior of the world. See, I grew up in a, in a time which I actually heard implied the idea that this world is spinning out of control and it's all going to burn up and God's going to make one new. Beloved, I believe God's coming to restore all of it and to make something better than what we've ever known. God is making all things new. It's more than a rescue of a few elect souls whisked off to heaven at the last second as a consolation prize for God whose plan didn't quite work out. Salvation belongs to, to the Lord, and it's bigger than we have imagined. Look at the crucified and believe. I see perfect love providing the solution, arms outstretched to embrace even enmity, healing a world gone wrong with his wounds, sin forgiven, Satan defeated, war abolished, death destroyed, creation restored. I believe the mystic's 13th revelation of divine love. All will be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. I didn't say I can explain it or defend it, but I believe it. I believe the gospel John gave, the Galilean prophet who said, I am bread, light, gate, shepherd, resurrection, vine, way, truth, life. I believe we can eat his flesh and drink his blood and live forever. I believe the vision John saw, new Jerusalem, new heaven, new earth. I'm laughing now because I believe it when Jesus says, Behold, I make all things new. I'm laughing now because I believe that in the end, love wins. Love believes all things and hopes all things. What would love believe about God? Believe that. What would love hope for humanity? Hope that. And laugh now, if just for a little bit. Beloved, as we come to the table this morning, I want to remind us of our confession, one that I typically go through most every day. I'm going to go ahead and lead us in it. If you're familiar, you want to follow along. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven, maker of earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven. He is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. O Lord God, we confess we have sinned. We've sinned before you in thought, in word, in deed, by what we have done by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors, ourself, and we are truly sorry, and we humbly repent and ask for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, forgive us that we would delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory and to the honor of your name. So now, Lord, as we come to this, your table, by your invitation, we proclaim your life, we proclaim your death, We proclaim Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again.